This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Maria Faella is a house plant enthusiast, which as a description actually might be something of an understatement. There is little so contagious as enthusiasm and that of young love or first love. And when we're first smitten by the cupid of plants and gardens, it's no different. Less than a year ago, Maria believed she was a succulent and plant killer by nature. Now she is the proud plant parent of more than 60 indoor plants and her and her partner Billy's small New York apartment. And she is the creator and host of a self-produced podcast called Bloom and Grow Radio, specifically for indoor plant people. Maria is also an actress and descendant of proud Italian gardeners and farmers. Her journey to becoming attuned to the needs and desires of her plant collection is a pleasure to share. Maria joins us today via Skype from her Bloom and Grow radio headquarters in New York City. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I am so excited to be on your show. I'm a huge fan. Well, I hate houseplants, Maria. And oh my gosh. I, I know. <laughs> this is why when you reached out to me, I was said, I need to talk to Maria. When I read one of your taglines, which is Bloom and Grow Radio is a weekly podcast designed for the urban jungle dweller house plant enthusiast and succulent killer alike. I knew yes. I had found my friend. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I love that. And my, my best friend growing up in Colorado, because I don't think you have to be an urban dweller to love houseplants. My best friend growing up in Colorado, huge lover of houseplants, inc- extraordinarily talented at it. She just looks at me and shakes her head. Tell us, Maria, a little bit about your current garden practice. Where do you live? What is that practice? And what kind of plants does it include? Sure. Um, So I live in a tiny apartment in New York City. I'm born and raised in New York, in the suburbs of New York, but I've lived in Manhattan for five years. And we'll get into this later, but my first four years in Manhattan, I was under the impression that I was a succulent killer. And now I'm transformed into a crazy plant lady. <laughs> but <laughs> but I have a tiny little apartment, which I love with my boyfriend. We are very lucky. We have southern facing windows mm. and a tiny little Juliet balcony. I am just holding my breath till spring so we can get out there. We Our favorite part of our plant collection is our spring, summer, fall herb garden. And then within my apartment, I would say I have around 50 plants. Mm -hmm. It fluctuates. I'm also a relatively new plant parent. I started collecting plants this past summer. So I'm still figuring out with my practices, learning about all these plants that I have. Houseplants are interesting because they're in a much more contained environment than outdoors. So they kind of require, I think, less maintenance. So a big thing for me with my practice has been learning not to overwater my plants because mm. 
as a plant parent, I want to be watering them all the time and feeling like I'm taking care of them. And especially in the winter, there's they just don't need that much water. I have a three foot bears lime tree in my living room that's currently growing six limes and I'm completely obsessed with it. I've totally fallen in love with it and have had quite the journey figuring out how to take care of it. Gardening houseplants versus real life outdoor gardening is very different, but there are so many shared experiences that Mm -hmm. indoor gardeners can have that outdoor gardeners share. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things is I have cuttings of my friends' plants that they've given me. And I recently went to San Diego and met one of my listeners and now friend through Instagram. And she took me on a tour of all of the different plant shops in San Diego. And I was able to collect some succulents and plants that I couldn't get in New York over there and like a crazy person put them in my backpack on my flight (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) like a a crazy hoarder um now everywhere I look I see these little plants that I bought with her and I'm just reminded of different people with each plant I look at introduce me to how you were transformed from a succulent killer into Mm -hmm a successful plant parent, what was your first baby who thrived? Who thrived, right? I actually come from a lineage of Italian farmers. I'm a dual citizen. We still have our farm that's not functioning anymore, but I grew up around agriculture, going to our farm, and my grandparents who lived in Queens were right off the boat, had a huge thriving garden. So I've always been around plants, but... I think because I am very allergic to bug bites, like very allergic to bug bites. I was actually hospitalized this summer from cellulitis from a bug bite. I have always been deterred to get outside. I've never been a real nature girl, even though it's in my blood and in my family. I think I'm always drawn to nature. I always have been because I was able to have these amazing experiences watching my grandparents go pick the salad and the tomatoes from their garden. But I've never been quite successful because I think there was a fear. So when I was in New York, I always liked the idea of having plants in my apartment, especially New York, a huge city, plants clean the air. So on my walk home from the subway, I'd stop at the local bodega and I'd buy a few succulents and I'd repot them in teacups with no drainage because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And I would put them 10 feet from a window because that's where I stylistically thought that they looked the prettiest. Mm -hmm. And I had a pothos that I overwatered horrifically. So basically, I knew I I had wanted plants, but I just didn't know how to care for them. And I guess the minute a couple of plants died, I just assumed I was a plant killer and just kind of gave up. I guess in thinking about it, I was surrounded by people that gardening came so naturally to. Mm -hmm. After my 17th or 18th plant that I'd killed, kind of given up. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'm an actress. This past year, I was on the national tour of The Sound of Music. I was living in hotels for eight months. And hotels couldn't feel less homey. So when I moved back to New York City, I was really ready to nest. And we had this herb garden. And I looked around in my apartment, which was most of my boyfriend's furniture. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give this plant thing one more try. And my mom is an incredible gardener. She every year turns our front yard into what we call Fiella Farm. She has a tomato patch and a bean patch and six different generations of lettuce. She's incredible. She helped set up a herb garden. And with her help on our little tiny Juliet balcony, we had basil, thyme, oregano, chives, 
We had purple basil as well. We had one tomato plant. It was three little planters that we had a bunch of herbs in. And I would literally call my mom every day. I mean, I had the weirdest ideas about gardening. For some reason, I had gotten it into my head that you could only water your plants at night. I don't know where that idea came from. <laughs> I think I just had this weird mental block that I was going to mess up, you know. But I neurotically called my mom every day, talking to her about my plants. And slowly but surely, I noticed the herbs started to thrive and the tomato plants shot up. And it felt so empowering and so incredible that all of a sudden I was like, okay, well... I'll get a jade. I'll put a jade in my windowsill. I'll see what that, I'll see what happens there. And then all of a sudden the jade didn't die. And then the more excited I got about my herb garden and the few plants that I had, the more I took to the internet, I started doing some research. And then pretty, pretty quickly, we say it went from zero to 60, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we had 60 plants in our house and a lime tree. (laughs) (laughs) And a lime tree. When you say your tiny Juliet balcony, give listeners a perspective on what that means in terms of actual space. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm lucky. I'm a four-story building, a very tiny six-unit building in New York City, in Long Island City, Manhattan. I have unobstructed light. I'm not sandwiched in between two buildings, Mm -hmm. so I get great light. It's really, I would say one foot wide, the space that I have to garden is probably one foot wide to three foot long. Wow. So it's tiny. Yeah. But if you're strategic, you can do anything. So (laughs) we got some really long planting beds, just plastic planting beds. But so basically we're gardening for the length instead of the depth of it. Yeah. So that brings me to what must be the difficulty of just finding the materials. So I lived in New York City sometime in the 80s, was in a tiny apartment. Just finding good plants to buy, as well as soil, as well as pots, and getting them up to an apartment. Yeah. Where do you, where do you, where do you get your garden materials? Yeah, that's a good question. That's kind of been evolving. As I said, I started the garden in June, so I'm still, I'm still kind of figuring out the best solutions in New York City. I was lucky and actually got my planters and actually planted them at my parents' house. Mm -hmm. So we had a little bit extra space. But since I've been in New York City, 28th Street is the most magical place in New York City. Anybody listening to the show, if you like gardening, go to 28th Street in New York City. It's the wholesale plant district in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So it is shop after shop after shop of plants. It's wild. And in the spring and summer, the shop owners take all their trees and larger plants and put them on the street. So you're literally walking through what feels like a jungle. Mm -hmm. It's totally wild. (laughs) Um, So when I can, I've made friends with this wonderful guy named Ched at Nobla Planta noble plants. Mm -hmm. He is, he's been in business for 40 years. So when I can, I go buy my plants from him. Um, in the beginning, I definitely was going to Home Depot and and Lowe's and stuff. And I think in New York City, you still kind of the big box stores are just to get the pots or whatever you're using. We have Lowe's, we have Home Depot's, we have Michael's. But I'm finding that the more I'm doing the show, the more I'm getting introduced to so many different incredible people. So I'm starting to order online more because when you live in New York City, if you order online 
Amazon will walk it up your flights for you and just drop it right at your doorstep. So the more and more I'm doing, I still like to buy my plants in person, but now I'm starting to learn that if I need to order soil or order pots or order, just ordered a moisture meter, I mostly go into Amazon or local homegrown businesses that I Mm -hmm. order from and have shipped. When I'm speaking to land-based gardeners, I often ask the question about your growing conditions and your climate. And of course, being a densely urban environment that you're in, you do have growing conditions and a climate that are hugely challenging. Describe those for, for listeners who aren't in an urban environment. Do you mean for my balcony or for actually the plants indoors? For the plants indoors. Yeah. Because my- you have the southern light on that mm-hmm. balcony, you are, as you noted, incredibly fortunate because yes, you don't totally. have necessarily the extremes and you have good conditions. But the inside environment, talk to us about that. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's kind of I it's the only thing I know um, versus, you know, I mean, I guess I watched my mom with with the Fiala farm that we call it. Um, You kind of have seasons, surprisingly enough, within your home Mm -hmm. because of the regulated heat. So in the summer you run into I ran into issues this summer um, with apartments, with air conditioning, getting too cold and shocking the plants. Mm -hmm. And then also in New York City, you don't have central air conditioning. So that means each plant, depending on which area of your apartment it is, the air is going to be regulated very differently. And I made the mistake once of leaving for five days in the middle of the high heat of the summer. And I, it just didn't occur to me, but I didn't leave my air conditioning running. Right. And my apartment was 90 degrees at some points baking because the air is kind of trapped within the apartment. So I came home and my plants were real mad at me about it. (laughs) Real mad. Um, In the summer, you kind of have to regulate the heat with air conditioning, with not the absence of it. But then interestingly enough, this is my first winter with houseplants, but we kind of have turned our radiators off because we're on the fourth floor. So Mm -hmm. our apartment is pretty warm regardless, but the radiators dry the air out so much that you end up having to try to replicate normal humidity for your plants. How do you do, how do you do that? Because I so remember this in my apartment in New York and then in another one in Boston where the radiators, you can turn them off, you can open all the windows. And if you're on the top floor, the heat from the floors below just, it is boiling hot in in your apartment in winter. And the humidity, as you say, is very hard to regulate. Yeah, it's really dry. And you know, I'm looking at my Boston fern that I have that is just not happy with me, but <laughs> ferns love moisture. And this winter it's, isn't, it has not been happy, but well, I'm still figuring out how to replicate humidity too. I mean, some people run humidifiers in their house near their high moisture plants. I have this cute little spritzer that I'll spritz my lime tree and my fern as many times a day as I can to try and get that moisture back, Mm -hmm. even if they can, it evaporates, but they enjoy it for as long as it can. And I, I have noticed that makes a difference, especially with my lime tree. And then, I mean, the only other way to regulate it is we have been pretty, we, we've been pretty lucky that we just have turned our radiator off for the most part Mm -hmm. and enjoy the heat from below. The other thing with the winter is since 
there's no there's less sun the soil for the plants dries out much slower so you're watering them less so you're really just having to manage the moisture on their leaves which has been really interesting but basically spritzing and humidifiers are the two solutions that I've seen other people using that brings me to a question about resources so mm-hmm. I am interested in what you are finding in the way of good uh, outside of your your mother, the head gardener at Fiella Farms. Yes. <laughs> uh, where are you finding good information, not only on general practices so that you don't overlove or neglect your plants, but also specific requirements for each of these various type of plants? And, and often, if I'm correct in my assumption, many of the plants that do well in urban indoor environments are tropical plants. So how do yes. you where are you learning about the the needs of these different plants? When I was first starting, I took to the internet, but I wasn't really sure what were reputable and what right. sources and what weren't. Right. The one thing I will say that I'm really proud of myself for is I have gotten the most incredible guests for my show that have taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I have definitely learned the most because I created my show 100% for myself because I had not known about any other houseplant podcasts at the time and wanted to learn more and wanted like a concise, easy place. And pretty much I have different experts come on the show to talk about the very specific thing that they are known for. Mm -hmm. I source a lot on Instagram because Mm -hmm. houseplant people are very vocal and active on Instagram. And I've gotten pretty lucky that I've kind of assembled this amazing group of people who have shared their knowledge with me. Mm-hmm. And now when I have questions, I'm lucky enough to go to them. But I also will say that my listeners are so vocal and I have no shame in in kind of putting a post on Instagram and saying, hey, guys, I just got this plant. I have no idea what it is or how to care for it. Can anyone tell me? And right. then they do. The listeners are also houseplant people. And I'm actively trying to grow a library of houseplant books. So every used bookstore I go into, I try and see if they have any books. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Maria Faella is the host of the Indoor Plant Persons podcast, Bloom and Grow Radio, which is less than a year old and an ongoing adventure for Maria in continuing to learn about and deepen her own love and understanding for tending to houseplants. In her tiny New York apartment, with the blessing of an even tinier Juliet balcony with southern exposure light. Stay with us. We'll be back. Okay, it's me, Jennifer. Let me start off by saying I don't really hate houseplants, and I do in fact have two. So please don't tell them that I said that. But I am intimidated by them, I think, and there's something about them that I struggle with. Maybe they need too much. Maybe they don't need me enough. I'm not sure. Maybe they're more subtle than the outdoor plants I'm used to interacting with. Those are in constant flux of growth and decline, budding, blooming, seeding, even woody perennials change reliably. Maybe I need to adjust my expectations and pace, not be so impatient with my two houseplants. One is a pretty well-established cutting of an angel-winged begonia brought home with me just a year or so ago from a visit to my Aunt Di in Vermont. She's had her elegant begonia collection since she lived in New York City herself for more than 20 years in her 30s and 40s. 
She has perhaps 12 different species, all different and interesting, and she prunes and repots and feeds them every spring before they go outside each year for the summer. So far, my one begonia is doing nicely, and as Maria indicates with many of her plants, it's so energetically pleasing to have my aunt die in my house through the presence of this plant. My other house plant is actually two plants in one, which sits in a bookshelf in my office. I've had it for about a year, and I have no idea what these two plants are, but they were given to me as rooted cuttings by Adrian, one of the women in my short story group. We thought about creating a book group, but we were all busy enough we couldn't commit to whole books in addition to what we each read for work, so we've negotiated to be a short story group. At least once, we've even read a short, short story. I digress. Adrian was moving, and so she prepared a small pot of cuttings, just like mine, for each group member. And I remember to water mine every now and then, and it keeps growing in kind. It's nice that way. And based on the NASA research I share at the end of this episode on how houseplants help clean the indoor air we breathe, that little pot of two plants is more than keeping me company as I work. Since I talked to Maria, I've been talking more to both my houseplants also. I think we're all happier for it. Do you have houseplants? Do you like them? Which are your favorites? I'd love to hear. Send me an email through the contact page at cultivatingplace.com, and while you're there, make sure to sign up for the monthly Views letter. Views from my place to yours each month, including direct links to the audio files from the last month and information about the coming month's guests. So sign up. I'd love to be in touch. And now back to our conversation with Maria of Bloom and Grow Radio, a podcast for indoor plant lovers. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Maria Faella, houseplant enthusiast and urban jungle dweller. She is a plant parent, as she describes it, to 50 or 60 houseplants in her New York City apartment, as well as outdoor plantings on a three foot by one foot balcony. She's learning about the care and keeping of her plant family as she goes, in large part thanks to the guests she invites on her self-created podcast, Bloom and Grow Radio. Welcome back. I love this observation about the online community and Instagram and your listeners and guests as a great learning web resource for you. Because how old are you? I'm 28. It strikes me that what used to be garden clubs or horticultural societies, these are no longer really efficient mechanisms. And learning online in these communities is one of the great gifts of social media. And I think for people that haven't yet made that connection online, there is this sense of it's a waste of time, it's addictive, it's screen hours, it's But there are, in fact, very real connections and exchange of ideas and information because we have such a great ability to exchange very precise images that we can get a lot done and learning and and connecting happen in these virtual environments. Oh my gosh, I have I have so many thoughts on what you just said. (laughs) It's so true. And especially with the connections that people make. I actually just spent 
February celebrating different friendships that have been made online through the share of plant love. And there's this plant, the Pilea peperomioides plant. It's also called the friendship plant or the Chinese money plant. And it's famous because it sprouts these little babies off yes. the side of it that can be, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you know it. Yes. Um, but for anyone who doesn't, you, it sprouts these little babies that you can clip the bottom off of and share them. And I can't tell you how many people I know who have started real life friendships because they saw someone post their Pilea on Instagram and write them saying, hey, if you ever get a baby, can you send it to me? And then that person sends it and then they start a correspondence and they're friends. Yeah. That happens, but it's so funny. This plan has been named the friendship plant for ages and ages. The other thing I think that's really interesting about social media, I'm totally in the millennial age range. And as someone who really kind of struggles with how addicted our age group is to social media. It's wild. You can't sit through dinner anymore without someone going on their phone. Gardening and houseplants have changed my life because they've been a way for me to relearn how to practice being fully present without mm -hmm. my phone. So my coffee ritual now, especially in the summer, is I take my coffee and I perch on my tiny little balcony and I just sit with my herbs and smell them and just enjoy getting back to myself and using that as an opportunity to kind of just reset where I used to have my coffee with my cell phone scrolling on Instagram. I do think there's this really interesting duality by the fact that people love plants because they actually take you offline, yeah. but then going online to meet other like-minded plant enthusiasts to mm -hmm. then further get offline and meet in real life. Like it's this really interesting cycle that I'm finding that I'm definitely learning how to navigate right now. You need to know how to use it, but I think even more importantly, you need to know how not to use it and how to get off of it. Yes. I want to hear a little bit more about Bloom and Grow Radio and how you got started. Um, we heard a little bit about why so tell us, give us a little bit more of the story. What what were you doing in your life when you got back from being on tour with The Sound of Music, and I, I kind of want to make you sing now, that led you to say, I'm going to start a podcast? <laughs> so I actually sing my theme song on my show, too. I actually ended up leaving Sound of Music because I got to fulfill one of my lifelong dreams and perform in a Broadway show. So I left Sound of Music to join Cats on Broadway. Wow. And yeah, it was such a dream. While at the same time, moving back to join Cats was also when I moved in with my boyfriend. Cue the story about, you know, us moving in with most of his furniture and me wanting to use plants. So I was just feeling really good. I was going to Cats. I was I was making, I was taking such steps forward, I feel like in my career, in my relationship. And all of a sudden I had these mornings free because when you perform on Broadway, you work nights. Mm -hmm. And I realized the balcony garden was thriving and it was kind of my new hobby. And I had this time to kind of research and figure out how to do it. And I have been a really avid podcast listener for a really long time. I love listening on my commutes because if you live in New York, you know that you spend lots of time on the subway. I mean, I probably spend an average of an hour to two hours on the subway every day. And at that time, I just couldn't find any houseplant-themed podcasts. I could find different podcasts that had episodes on houseplants. 
I re- I knew that my contract at Cats was ending in three months. And I also always know as a performer, I get a little sad at the end of every show ending. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I just make a podcast? Like, why don't mm-hmm. I just figure out how to do that? It'll be a really fun project. It'll keep me creative. And worse comes to worse, I learn a lot about caring for my collection through these interviews. Mm-hmm. Worse comes to worse, it's just me and my mom listening to the show. And <laughs> I get to learn a lot more about plants. Yeah. And then I started reaching out to people to come onto the show and they all said yes. The other thing is I had gotten on Instagram. I wasn't really following plant people on Instagram, but all of a sudden I was and I was realizing there were these plant influencers. There's an thriving online community of houseplant lovers, like specifically houseplant lovers. I got on YouTube and I watched a bunch of tutorials and listened actually to a podcast about how to make a podcast and (laughs) read a bunch of blogs and figured it out. The most amazing thing has been finding listeners. I created the show for someone like me and mine. A young person living in a city has minimal to no outdoor space and just wants to bring a little bit of nature indoors Mm -hmm. to like disconnect. But the beauty of the show is I'm realizing my initial concept was the show was to educate and inspire and empower people who maybe were like me who thought that they were succulent killers who really just need like the proper information to be able to enjoy plants in any capacity. Mm -hmm. Now I have listeners that actually own plant shops. I have a listener that wrote me the other day who's a 67-year-old truck driver in Arizona. My listeners are the most amazing little army of plant people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. They're so cool and very varied. As I have experienced, as I think anybody who spends even five minutes talking to another plant lover experiences, that we love plants, but we also love people and plants. Mm -hmm. And that the human story that goes with each of these journeys is really energizing and it's oh my one gosh, of the totally. like, positive electricity sources on the planet. One of the things that I love about the conversations you have and your passion for it is that it expands what we think of when we use the word garden, what that word means and what the person who does it looks like and what Absolutely. they what they value and that to expand that conversation on all edges of it is really important to making sure the community continues to thrive and that the most effective and positive of its impacts can be felt and pushed forward in that ripple effect that happens. Totally. And I think part of my whole experience being intimidated by keeping houseplants or having a garden is the knowledge that you need to have to really have a thriving garden can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And it can be really intimidating to turn to all these really knowledgeable gardeners who are gardeners and they are like so proud of their setups and how everything, how they have everything organized and be like, I don't know. I don't know how to do any of this, but I really want to. There's, there's the passion there. And that's one of my main points for my show is I will be as dumb as possible. I have no shame on my show about asking the silliest questions because I'm sure other people have them too. And if it's just, 
if the difference between a person being able to enjoy a garden in any capacity is whether or not I'm going to ask the dumb question. I had Joe Lample. Yes. I had him on my show and I had to ask him what mulch was because he was on my <laughs> fifth episode and I really didn't know what I was doing at that point. And I asked Joe Lample what mulch was as he was talking about these things. But why would I know what mulch is exactly. if I didn't, yeah. you know, and yeah. there's no shame in that. It's no. just that I asked and I figured out what it was. I think that's so important. I think it's so important and I think it it brings first of all there is no dumb question and you know <laughs> and second of all nobody popped out of the womb knowing how to garden we totally. all had to learn somewhere and we started somewhere and I have to catch myself to remember that someone had to tell me what mulch was and even if they didn't necessarily articulated in a sentence they they demonstrated it in front of me and I learned and so making sure we embrace and encourage compassion and asking all the questions we possibly can. I think that two of the elements of your story demonstrate fabulous life rules for anybody. And one is uh, notice what you're missing and go in and fill that need. And the, the second one is never stop being curious. Totally. Yeah. And I have to say about something else you said earlier, I hundred percent agree with you that I think plant people are some of the kindest people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about it, the more it makes total sense because gardening, indoor, outdoor, however, whatever kind of garden you have, if you just have like a jar of basil grown on your windowsill, or if you have like the most epically designed garden ever, the root of gardening is kindness. Yeah. You are practicing kindness on this plant, this like foreign being, it doesn't know how to communicate with you. It tries to show you, but you do not speak the same language. You are not, you know, you're, you're a completely different species. And yet you spend all of this time trying to take care of it. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful practice. And if you, if everybody was to have a plant and if everybody was to practice that on a plant, think about how you can take that experience and facilitate it, having compassion for someone in a different political party or than you, or having compassion for, you know, someone you don't see eye to eye or the person that really annoys you at work or the person that, you know, everybody yeah. has someone that they don't get along with, but like the practice of practicing that compassion with your plant collection totally can change the world. That is the root of it all for me. That makes me so happy and so energized when I hear, when I hear other people feeling like that too. And it's not, I think, yes, yes, and yes, and yes to everything <laughs> you just said, but it's also, it's kindness and it's humility because yeah. we, I don't care what kind of gardener you are, you have killed a plant and you have done it unintentionally, maybe intentionally, but the unintentional deaths are the ones that teach us how much we do not know. And yes, that totally. the, the concept that you mentioned about being two different species and trying to communicate and trying to take care of this other life is such a powerful practice. And I think while we don't speak the same verbal language, we do speak the same language. And it's a question of slowing down and tuning in. Because mm -hmm. I, I would say that even if you killed your plants over time, as we all have, you, 
every time one dies, you learn a little more. You start to pay attention to, is the soil damp or is it dry? Is it, are there mushrooms growing in it? Or, you know, do the, do the leaves look sad? And if they're sad, how can you figure it out? And, and it's this dance of, of trying to understand the language we both speak, where that common ground is. And that's, that's powerful. That's powerful practice. Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. I just did an interview yesterday with a, a, a f- real friend now who I met via Instagram, a plant person who's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And she also draws this cool parallel, learning how to read a plant's leaves drooping and figuring out how, you know, the appropriate watering and figuring out, um, you know, how to properly takes care of it also helps you take care of yourself better. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you tune into getting so sensitive towards your plants, it also helps you become a little bit more sensitive to noticing your own state of being as well. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Our guest today, Maria Faella, was sure she was a plant killer with no natural tendency for caring for plants. But in a moment of confidence as to how her career, her love life, and her life in general were going, she decided she wanted to give growing plants one more try. She's sharing her story about her steep learning curve, her improvements over time, and the positive impact on her life since she began to experience small successes along the way, with herbs and then a jade. And then, well, we'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Jennifer here. Maria has an observation in the course of this conversation about a correlation between taking care of plants well leading to taking better care of ourselves. I like this thought and I believe it to be true. Like any relationship, that between us and our plants is a reflection of who we are. As I write on the website, our garden practice is some version of our own signature or fingerprint. When we're not feeling well in body, mind, or spirit, our plants and gardens are bound to reflect this. But in my experience, they almost always make us feel better if we let them. Likewise, when I'm feeling good, they still make me feel better. So what do we have to lose? Every day in the company of our plants and flowers is better for it. Maria also notes her guests and her listeners of the podcast have expanded her own life almost as much as her plants have. Their knowledge and humor and generosity amaze her. I couldn't agree with her more. I love talking about, reading about, writing about, and gardening with the amazing variety of ways we plant people cultivate and grow from our own places. But even more than that, I enjoy sharing it with you. So thank you for being on this conversational journey with me. Most things are better shared. This certainly is. Now back to our conversation with Maria and her houseplant happiness. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to continue our conversation with Maria Faella of Bloom and Grow Radio, a podcast for houseplant lovers and urban jungle dwellers. One of the great lessons she's learned from being in relationships with her plants is that of compassion. The root of all gardening is kindness, she has come to believe. Welcome back. I want to move us back to your plants. 
Yes. Um, you have a lot of them in your plant family there in your urban jungle. And I would yes. like you to walk us through a couple of them. So maybe your very easiest one, the most perhaps yeah. easily found in the retail world and mm-hmm. its name and how you take care of it. And then I want you to introduce us to your rarest one and okay. the, the one that's the most finicky and hard to take care of. And then I want you to uh, introduce us to your lime tree. <laughs> limey, limey, my lime tree. Okay, sure. So the easiest for anyone who wants to have a plant and is nervous that you're going to kill it you have to get it. I am obsessed these days. I have two of them, snake plants, known as Sansevieria. They come in all sorts of different, they're these beautiful, you can get them as small as like a few inches tall. Mine, I actually inherited from a friend of mine who had to move suddenly, and she was a huge part of my getting really turned on by plants. And she actually gave me several of her plants. And I, it energetically, it feels so beautiful to have them in my house because they're a part of her. I would say both of mine are about two feet tall. From a design aspect, they're just stunning to look at. They also are one of the plants that clean the most amount of different toxic elements in your air. They are so hard to kill. Essentially, just forget that you own them. And they're cool. They... <laughs> They like maybe I water them once a month in the winter. Maybe I try once a week or once every two weeks in the summer once it gets a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. But they're so beautiful, they're so striking, and I think for anyone who is nervous about killing them, they will help empower you to know that you will be okay. Okay, jade as well because jade you really don't have to water. My hardest plant is my Boston fern. How long have you had it? <laughs> I've had it for four or five months now. Okay. The thing with ferns is they just require constant misting and mm-hmm. maintenance and they don't like their soil to dry out. And I really oscillate between being a high maintenance plant parent and a low maintenance plant parent. There are some weeks I want to water my plants every day and I want to prune them and do all these things. And then there are some weeks I like completely forget about them. So the fern doesn't like the weeks that I forget about it because mm-hmm. um, you really have to miss it, especially in the winter. You got to miss that thing all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm learning. It's been a really nice practice becoming a little more aware of it. I also dropped it. I dropped it in the pot shattered everywhere and mm. I was running out the door leaving for two days. So I like threw it in some old nursery pot I had and just said a prayer and left. I think it's kind of bouncing back from the trauma. So I'm sorry, Boston Fern. And then the lime tree. And the lime tree. So yeah, so Fern is definitely that most high maintenance. The lime tree has just been such a joy. I think for so many reasons. The the first meeting, my boyfriend is the most amazing man my plant obsession came out of nowhere and he has just been on the whole so supportive, but I think the, how quickly I got excited about plants, I think would have been overwhelming for anyone. So there was a moment where I was on a plant pause for us to kind of adjust to how many plants we had. And, you know, he doesn't want to feel like the apartment is becoming cluttered with plants. So He has been incredibly supportive, but we were definitely on a plant pause. And Limey was actually the first plant that we saw at a nursery together that he actually got really excited about. And so we kind of purchased the plant together and have been learning to take care of the plant together, which has just been like really exciting and really fun. 
because for the most part, the plants are my responsibility in the apartment, except for Limey. He's also the only plant I name. I'm really not into naming my plants, but Limey is my friend. So <laughs> he gets a name. Um, you know, indoor, I didn't even know indoor citrus was a thing. That is definitely something I actually took the took to the internet and went on the websites of citrus tree vendors and learned a lot on their websites because mm-hmm. I figured since they are vendor like selling these trees that they actually know what they're talking about. Yes. But it's just been interesting. I mean, when we got him and brought him home, he definitely went through like two or three weeks of, I think, shock adjusting to our apartment mm-hmm. because we also got him in the fall, which is like a weird time for citrus, especially in New York. Our fall was also really weird. It was like really hot and then really cold. It Like uh, the weather really oscillated. So he dropped a lot of his leaves and I was really nervous that he was going to die. And I was really hoping that it would be like a fun project for us. And then we both kind of did a lot of research and all of a sudden he started thriving and let me tell you the first lime bud the first Mm. flower was such an event in our household i bet i bet it was (laughs) it was such an event because it really felt like such a win to have this tree go from oh my gosh i think we killed it to oh my gosh it's producing fruit Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that's amazing and then so we've had one lime growing for a few months now it's pretty big but then after we after I started misting it and taking a little bit better care of it we got five or six more buds within the span of one week and that was the second most exciting week in our household with these buds and it's just been really beautiful then I got a grow light we put this great grow light that has I think 4200 lumens Mm -hmm. um, because the issue was in the winter even though we have southern facing windows the light in the winter is so much more dim than the summer Mm -hmm. so we could tell that this the tree wasn't getting enough sunlight so I got a grow light but it's this really cool stylish grow light and we set it up in the corner of our apartment which normally is very low light but now is this amazing space that we've put a couple of plants in and he seems to be doing really well again so he's just been a really great addition to our family. (laughs) And I would imagine that the scent of those blooms in your small apartment would have been pretty magical. Yeah, pretty cool. The lime tree, apparently lemon tree blooms are much more fragrant than limes, but still the lime scent has been really cool. And unfortunately, one of the limes dropped, one (gasps) of the five limes dropped, but we were able to kind of cut the lime open and smell it and and enjoy it. My other, my, my last question, are there other plants that you are hoping to expand into as you enter your second full year of being a dedicated plant mother? (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's, I definitely have a plant wish list. I think I need an apartment wish list to accommodate my plant wish list because it feels like we're almost at capacity in my apartment with the amount of plants that we have. Mm. I would love to have a geranium in my apartment. I'm probably going to ask for one for my birthday from my mom actually, because my grandparents, my Italian grandparents who lived in Queens, they had this amazing sunroom that was that kind of glass that's not opaque, but real filtered, bright filtered indirect light. Mm. And she had, 
I remember the sunroom was filled with jade and geraniums. Mm -hmm. And I had like a crazy experience with my mom. We were in, but I wasn't connected to plants when I would go visit my grandparents back then. So I didn't think much of the greenhouse or their little green room. I was in a restaurant in the city with my mom and I saw a geranium and had such a sense memory flashback to being in my grandparents' green room. This was after I started the, started the podcast Mm -hmm. and I just had this beautiful, like, connection, connecting moment with my mom. And I felt like I connected with my grandma who is now deceased. And so I would love to have a geranium just for the, um, emotional ties to Mm -hmm. what it feels like for our family. I mean, I'm ready this upcoming spring. We are going to go all out in our little outdoor balcony. So I want to, this sounds silly, but I definitely want to get one of those wildflower packets and line the the balcony with planter boxes mm-hmm. with different wildflowers. Mm. I think that's going to feel kind of wild and and more natural. We want to do a larger tomato. I think I might start, don't tell my landlord, but I think I might start a little tomato garden on our roof so we can kind of expand because mm-hmm. I love growing tomatoes and I love the fragrant tomato plant. That's mm-hmm. some, and that also connects me back to my Italian roots. My mom has a huge tomato patch in our, in Fiala Farm, previously mentioned Fiala Farm. Yes. My boyfriend works in craft beer. And so we were also joking that it might be fun to try hops, try growing hops this summer. Yeah. And and your neighbors above you and your neighbors below you will also love the hops. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of, of how fragrant they are? Uh, no, because of how vigorous they are. Oh, totally. Yeah. That could take over the side of the building in a beautiful way. You could have a vertical garden like Patrick yeah. LeBlanc in Paris. I love it. Mm-hmm. I can't wait and to our- see photos. Yeah. And our balcony, the actual balcony railing is essentially a trellis. So I want to experiment. I'd love any suggestions you might have hops, but also maybe morning glories or something. I mean, ideally edible or not, but something that I want to cover Mm-hmm. kind of the railing in some sort of greenery that could climb all around it. So I'd love your suggestions. Well, I would say, the, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say any of the beans, any of the runner beans, the scarlet yeah. runner beans would be great because they would return nitrogen to the planters that they're in for the other plants growing and would cover the trellis. They have beautiful little edible flowers, which you could only eat a few of because you really want the beans to come. But right. uh, that would <laughs> that would be super fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Now, we have talked quite a bit about this in terms of the importance to a much broader audience or broader concept of why this kind of activity and interaction and relationship between us and plants is important. Is there anything else you would like to add on that front, Maria? Hmm. I think we've hit some really beautiful Mm -hmm. notes in the course of this conversation. I just... I think that one of my main missions is to make gardening or just having plants like we don't even need to call it gardening, but to make it more accessible. And I, I want people to not feel like victims of whatever their circumstances are in terms of the amount of space they have in their apartment, whether Mm -hmm. they have indoor, uh, outdoor space, Mm -hmm. whether they're in a climate that they feel like they can grow stuff in, you know, Mm -hmm. Plants, I just think, are so essential for for happiness. And I I just know on such a personal level, in the, la- the last six months of my life, 
have been greatly altered by the fact that I've started learning how to care for plants. Mm -hmm. And the act of learning as an adult, learning a hobby, that is an amazing experience, mm -hmm. let alone actually benefiting from all of the health benefits plants give you. So I just hope that everybody can experience, and I truly mean everyone. I really just want everyone to experience caring for a plant in some way, whether it's an outdoor garden or just a small jade plant in your windowsill. I just think it's, it's really important. And, and I'm so happy to be spreading that message. Yeah. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today, Maria. I, I think your mission of life altering plants for every person is a great one. Thank you. And thank you for sharing all of these incredibly special stories that you share. I really enjoy listening to your program, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. Maria Faella is the creator and host of the self-created Bloom and Grow radio podcast, an endeavor she began less than a year ago in order to teach herself more about the care and keeping of interesting houseplants. As an actress working in the current production of Cats on Broadway, she had mornings free and a new shared apartment with her boyfriend, Billy. She decided to give the houseplant thing one more try, despite previous attempts which had led to sad plants and her own sense of disappointment. But, as she describes, her first success with the help of her mother at tending to living, growing things hooked her. Maria mentions that snake plant, also known as mother-in-law's tongue, Sansevieria laurentii, is known to help clean the air of toxins. After our conversation, I went to research this a bit and came across a fascinating 1989 report by NASA on just this thing. While there have no doubt been lots of studies since this one, the reason for the study and its results were striking to me. Here's an excerpt, but I will put a link to the full study in this week's weekly episode write-up at cultivatingplace.com. Quote, two major problems with indoor air pollution are the identification of the trace minerals and their correlation with disease-like symptoms known as sick building syndrome. Energy-efficient buildings that are filled with modern furnishings and high-tech equipment off-gas hundreds of volatile organics which possibly interact with each other. Even at concentrations below present detection limits, some of these chemicals and reactive byproducts may adversely affect inhabitants of these buildings. The first and most obvious step in reducing indoor air pollution is to not use off-gassing materials in the first place. The study goes on that another promising approach to further reducing trace levels of air pollutants is the use of higher plants and their associated soil microorganisms. Since man's existence on Earth depends upon a life support system involving an intricate relationship with plants and their associated microorganisms, it should be obvious that when he attempts to isolate himself in tightly sealed buildings away from this ecological system, problems will arise. Even without the existence of hundreds of synthetic organic chemicals off-gassing into tightly sealed environments, man's own waste products would cause indoor air pollution problems. The answer to these problems also seems obvious. If man is to move into closed environments on Earth or in space, he must take along nature's life support system. 
This study covers two years of data on the potential use of houseplants in solving indoor air pollution problems on Earth and has gone a long way toward reminding man of his dependence on plants for his continued existence and well-being on our planet. Among the other chemicals that plants such as snake plant clean from the air are benzene, trichlorolethylene, and formaldehyde. While Maria's garden practice is still, as she says, figuring it all out, and I might add, we all share in that garden life practice, her love for the plants grows bigger each day. And as with all of us, they are so clearly our very life support systems. Thank you, NASA, for this very clear articulation, even in the language of 1989. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust and you. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music by Matt Schultz. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.